Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world. This is a special series of conversations about how Black and white women are navigating anti-racism. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. On each of these special episodes, I'll be in conversation with a Black, Indigenous, or woman of color colleague, and together we'll explore anti-racism and racial justice, what it means not only in the big picture, but how our daily lives are impacted, what we're reading, what we're doing, and where we go from here. The Liberatory Consciousness Framework, created by organizational development consultant Barbara J. Love, was recently presented by Erica Hines of Every Level Leadership at a small business community forum on racial justice organized by Rachel Rogers. The framework has four parts, awareness, analysis, action, and accountability slash allyship. As Erica Hines emphasized in her presentation, many of us aren't ready for action yet because we haven't completed the work in the awareness and analysis stages. This special series is part of my effort to raise awareness and engage in the analysis. There's a list of anti-racism resources at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. And you can check out all the past episodes of The Well Woman Show featuring Black, Indigenous, and women of color at wellwomanlife.com slash women of color. This special series on anti-racism is part of the Podcasters for Justice campaign. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of the police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black lives matter. We believe that Black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witnesses to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices and we'll use our voices to speak against anti-blackness and police brutality and we encourage our audiences to be educated engaged and to take action here are three things you can do right away the first is donate to any of the following funds george floyd memorial fund minnesota freedom fund black visions collective campaign zero or Black Lives Matter. Number two, sign a petition. You can text FLOYD to 55156 to sign a petition to demand justice for George Floyd. Number three, you can sign up at Color of Change to be notified of more opportunities to take action. You can find all of these links on the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash podcast. The more options we can give people that that mirrors who they feel they are and who they feel comfortable with in their own realm, um, in all these different realms, I mean to say, is that's great. On the Well Woman Show this week, I share part four in a series of conversations with Black, Indigenous, and women of color colleagues and friends. And together we explore anti-racism and racial justice, what it means not only in the big picture, but how our daily lives are impacted, what we're reading, what we're doing, and where we go from here. This week, I'm in conversation with Antonia Montoya, and we explore racial justice from our unique perspectives and lived experiences. Antonia is a mental health therapist who specializes in walking alongside clients through grief, loss, addiction, and challenging life transitions. 
She supports her clients in the exploration and reconnection with themselves while teaching new practices for creating the change they seek in their lives. As a queer woman of color from Albuquerque, New Mexico, she has been a lifetime student of the traditional healing practices of her ancestors. She is committed to supporting her clients in their work, understanding the importance of continuing her own. All the information shared today can be found at the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash 219show, including links to all the episodes in this series, the resource list on anti-racism, and the list of interviews with women of color throughout the whole of the Well Woman Show, all of the different interviews with women of color as well as a link to join our community on Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy and High Desert Yoga in Albuquerque. All right, welcome to the Well Woman Show, Antonia. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here talking to you again. Me too. As I said in in our offline conversation and, and for listeners, this is just a conversation about kind of where we are thinking, doing, feeling uh, about anti-racism right now and white supremacy from our individual lived experiences. We'll just kind of have a conversation. Before we do that, I, I know for listeners, they've heard you on this show before and we'll link to your interview from a couple of years ago. Uh, but Antonia, I know a lot has changed for you in your life, personally mm-hmm. and professionally. Can you give us the updates? Yeah, the huge, big update is that I am now a mental health therapist. I went back to a second round of grad school and um, yeah, I'm officially an LMSW and I am part of a, a uh, private practice that's here in, in Albuquerque. Um, okay, so you got your master's in social work in order yes. to do this and then you had to do a, a bunch of practical application and then some some exams, right? Yep. So I've I've just I just finished the whole process of that um, in uh, you know just last week I actually passed the exam, but everything else had been done you know earlier in the year. So so it's a big celebration right now. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, that's exciting. You. It's it's a big shift for you because from my perspective, having known you a, a few years now, it seems like it's deepening what you are already sort of doing. Yes. And at the same time, it's a shift from being a a business owner, entrepreneur to working for someone else too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, But although, you know, I'm going to be working, having my own private practice, you know, after two years, I can do another level of exams to be able to do my own practice, private practice. And I that's on the plan. And the woman I'm working with is aware of that and helping me work towards that goal as well. So, so it'll okay. just be a couple of years. And what's nice is that she's has such a small private practice that I'm going to be able to learn all the business side of things as, mm-hmm. as I go. So that piece of it is kind of aligned, but I agree. It's, it's, it's different. It's much different than coaching work to do the more clinical lens. So, mm. yeah. Yes. And so how, um, how are you, like, how does it feel coming into this work as a New Mexican, as a woman of color, and, and then now with the renewed or heightened awareness around racial justice 
in the whole country, in the whole world. How has that impacted your work or how you see yourself as a therapist? Well, you know, part of the reason I chose social work, I've worked under great social workers my whole life, actually. Um, But part of the reason I chose social work is that social work from its beginnings has always had a environment, like they call it person and environment type of lens or what we would call a social justice lens. Yeah. So it's not just about like, oh, okay, you have to deal with your, you know, issues related to your relationship with your mom or growing up or, you know, these sorts of things, but it's also looking at these bigger systemic issues. And so I really love that about social work and that feels really aligned in this time. And also just, you know, as me, you know, I'm, I'm a brown woman, I'm a queer woman, I'm born and raised here in Albuquerque, and I have been on a path of learning traditional healing, which has kind of changed a lot of things for me as well. And all of those things coming together, I think is, is an unmet need in a lot of ways in, you know, you know, not like there's no queer people of color who are therapists here in town. There are, but it's always nice to to give people options yeah. that um, looks more like them. And and I'm really excited to be doing that work. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I hear that a lot. And in fact, uh, a recent guest on the show, Bobsy Sinandale. Oh, oh who, you actually, <laughs> this is so funny. You introduced me to her. <laughs> oh, right. I did. Oh, I love Albuquerque. Oh, it was yeah okay. Wait, this is, we have. To, I just have to tell this real quick. Um, I pulled up to an event that I was going to be helping Tamara Thorpe, another person who was just on the show. I was going to be uh, doing something at one of her events, and you emailed, and I just was checking emails in the car. You know, as you do in the car before mm-hmm. you go into an event getting something squared away. And there was an email from you saying, I really want you to meet Bob C. And, you know, here, here's this introduction. And I was like, awesome. Get out of my car, go into the event. And the first person I met was Bob C. Like in person. <laughs> yes. In the that. event. So <laughs> was like, okay, we're, we're supposed to connect here. Anyway, she was on the show and she was saying, cause she's a wellness coach for black women. She felt very strongly that there there wasn't, there wasn't, there's not enough people that look like her to serve her community in the wellness space. Right. Yeah. It's, it's important. And, and then she's also younger, you know, she works with millennials and, and, you know, that is another piece. I mean, intersectionality is, it's so much, it's the more options we can give people that, that mirrors who they feel they are and who they feel comfortable with in their own realm. Um, in all these different realms, I mean to say is that's great. Mm, Yeah. So what, what do you want to talk about? I, I tend to, you know, automatically default to like interviewer role and I, I want to be conscious of not doing that. So what, what kind of things are on your mind for, for this conversation about racial justice? Oh, there's so much. Um, but, but, you know, we were basically, we, there's been a lot of conversation about um, land acknowledgements, and I was sharing with you that I'm not an expert in doing land acknowledgements, but I wanted to share my process mm-hmm. about that and um, the importance about that. I've been working in tribal communities, doing coaching work with people who are doing substance abuse prevention for a 
I mean, the coaching work specifically for 10 years now, but before that, another 10 years doing prevention work myself. So I've been doing a lot of work in tribal communities and being in the project I'm in right now, I'm literally the only person who's not native on a really small project working in tribal communities. So it's interesting. I guess what I wanted to talk about is kind of this idea about being somebody who, I don't know, we, we use the term an outsider, like being an outsider to tribal communities and working with tribal communities, what that experience is like mm-hmm. and how I can navigate that to do the work that we're all there to do and not be a distraction and not pull attention to me. And, you know, all these sorts of different skills that, that you know, you use as a facilitator and as a coach, but also using that as a as an entry point to thinking about doing land acknowledgements and what that process can look like. So mm. that's what I was kind of thinking we could yeah. explore. I would love that. So would you mind starting with just for listeners who might not be familiar or maybe they've heard land acknowledgement once or twice, but sort of what is it in your mind? Well, I think it's about, well, you know, the the intention that I have going into it is about a pause before moving forward in whatever our agenda is for that moment to give acknowledgement and or gratitude. You know, I'm the gratitude person. I always go there, but give acknowledgement and or gratitude to the fact that this land that we're on is not, it feels like my, like I'm in my home right now. So this feels like my, like I own this land, right? Like this sense of like ownership or pull and um, towards that. And so to be able to pause and say, I am not, this is not really my land because it's stolen land. It's unceded land, you know, unceded territory of native tribes that were here before me. So I think doing that is a practice of humility and a practice of presence and also a practice of um, giving thanks and acknowledgement and seeing kind of the bigger picture of all the things that are at play throughout time and, and everything. So, so that's yeah. what I see it as. So it's so interesting. There's so it's so complex, and there's so many parts of this that we could talk about. And and so just when what comes up for me is power. Um, the idea yes. that you know, in order to be powerful in this country, you need to be white, male, or have land. Mm, yes. And if you don't have any of those, you really don't have much power. Um, and so with the land acknowledgement, it's it's like you know. Native people did have a lot of power. They had their land and now they don't. And what does that mean? And and so just recognizing it and like through the lens of power is is interesting for me. And then it takes me to like what you know, what is the purpose of an acknowledgement? I think it's a it's great and it should be happening, but then like what else? That's at, at what you know, at what point does something else need to happen. And not to jump ahead, but that's just where my thought went. Yeah, but I think that that's the power of the land acknowledgement, because I think it's like, especially the more and more people that are doing it, every single time it happens, it's a new opportunity for us to reflect on it, to listen, to be present with it, and to apply it to our own lives. And I think that over time, the more touch points you have with it, it can lead to change. You know, I'm, 
that I think we even talked about behavior change when I was on this interview last time, but um, there's so many things that come into play with behavior change and it's never, or it's very rarely a fast thing. It's, it takes a lot of touch points to get us to a point to where we're motivated to take action. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about this idea is that there's no directive. Well, in land acknowledgements, I've heard there's no directive of like, okay, now do this, like a call to action. Right. It's just, um, but at the same time, when I've experienced like Maria Erin Jones um, off, she's been doing land acknowledgements for years and I, and she does them. I play music. And a lot of times when I'd be playing a show, she would do a land acknowledgement before. And every single time I would hear it, it would, it would sit with me a different way. And more recently has inspired me into taking more action. And I think that that's so, that's, what's so beautiful about it. Mm. Yeah. The, like holding space for just the awareness and the acknowledgement to happen and not not jumping ahead to to action necessarily because as you said you have to really build that awareness mm -hmm. and it might be the action might be oh i'm going to do a google the action might be i'm going to read a book i might be i'm going to have a conversation with a um, a you know a person in my life who's native and um you know, willing to have that conversation because you're friends mm. or whatever, or, or it might be, I'm going to, you know, take action about understanding more about reparations and, and what that, what this idea about land back could be and what that could look like. And, um, you know, or, you know, it might just be, oh, I'm going to do my own land acknowledgement. So like, there's so many, or it might be, I'm going to meditate. It, and action could be any number of things that could be anything from a personal practice of like journaling to explore the feelings that come up for you to taking, you know, political or, or other type of action. Yeah, yeah, this, this is making me think of, and just to tie in for folks who have listened to the other episodes of this anti-racism conversation, this series rather in the well woman show we've we've touched on barbara j love's liberatory consciousness framework and that is you know four parts which begins with awareness goes into analysis and then um awareness analysis action and then uh, um allyship and um you know, she's, she's very clear, like, okay, we, re we really need to start with awareness. And, and a lot of times the kind of white dominant culture wants to jump straight into action and skip the awareness and the analysis pieces. Mm. And she says, you know, we need to slow down and really do that awareness and, and then the analysis and then, you know, and then take action for sure. Um, so just to kind of pull that thread in here. I think it's helpful to think of this as the awareness stage. Yes, I love that. And just to bring up, you know, um, you and I were talking in another group uh, yesterday, I think, about land acknowledgement and um, another organization I work with, Family Friendly New Mexico. We were exploring doing a, a land acknowledgement for the organization and that led us to really looking at you know doing our own individual land acknowledgements and it it's been so interesting as a process in terms of um connecting in with the people that used to have this land you know and how it relates to 
our mission in terms of supporting families and my mission personally, which is really supporting women, all women. Um, can you talk a little bit about your process and how you came up with your very thoughtful, beautiful land acknowledgement that will, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll share it in the show notes. Um, and you could also read it, I suppose, if you wanted to. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think I will. Um, so the one, and this, this, what I love about this too, is that pretty much each time it's like a growing pro because of you asked about the process because of the nature of this process, it's always, it's not like a standing acknowledgement that I'm, that I go to always, um, but it's kind of growing and changing as it goes. But yeah, but the one specifically that you're talking about, um, and that, and that I feel really good about right now is I would like to acknowledge with gratitude the, uh, actually, I want to stop and take a breath. Cause I think that's part of this, like all, like I said before, I feel like it's a process of presence. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to pause for a second and really experience like being here in the space that I'm in right now. I'd like to acknowledge with gratitude the original caretakers of this land I reside on, or this land I stand on, the Tiwa people of Sandia Pueblo and Isleta Pueblo, as well as the nomadic tribes of this land, the Dene, Comanche, and Apache people. So it's short, it's simple. Um, this is very specific to Albuquerque, um, where I'm, where I am. And as far as like a, a process with this, it's really interesting because um, you know, it's been a process of, of learning a little bit about the history of, um, uh, it's hearing other people's land acknowledgements and experiencing that, like we said before, that awareness and my own pull to action around that. Mm. It's also um, understanding a little bit more about the history here in Albuquerque and, and New Mexico as a whole. And it's also like one of the things that I've noticed for me is that when I, a lot of times when I hear land acknowledgements, especially here locally, they'll talk about um, a name, Tiwa Pueblo, which is, or Tiwa peoples, which is not something, what's interesting about that is that Tiwa has since separated into different um, Pueblos. Mm -hmm. And I, so what I like to say is like, you can't, like pull up Tiwa on a on a map and um, go visit that Pueblo right. right now, but you can because like our closest ones are Pueblo and are uh, um, Isleta Pueblo and Sandia Pueblo, which are right here. So I like to acknowledge the names of the pueblos that are that are here today because although we know. I hope everybody knows that Native people are alive and well and not erased from history. There's something about the land acknowledgements that I hear that makes me feel in my body, like have a sense that it seems like it's gone, like they're acknowledging something that's no longer. And so I like to bring forward the names of the of the tribes that are here that are descendants um, and that lineage. And so, and then the other thing that's really important to me that has come from my acknowledgement is acknowledging the nomadic tribes because it's a different relationship with the land as a nomadic tribe. And I'm no expert at this, but I just know that in this area, there's a, there's a long history of, you know, Apache, Diné, and, and Diné is Navajo for people that don't know, um, Apache, Diné, and Comanche people 
that have come and gone throughout this Albuquerque specifically. Um, so I think that, and that's a huge part of the way of life. Like if we weren't here, who knows what the what the tribes would look like and where mm. they would be and how they would move, you know? So it's, it's something I like to include in there. Yeah. I love that you brought up the, um, the sort of far past history with the more recent history and, and the presence now, like the current presence of um, native people uh, as far as like really acknowledging um, it, it helps it helps really acknowledge the the current living native people here in in this mm-hmm. space, right? And so that's a really great point. And then the nomadic people as well. So it it becomes very personal, really developing a land acknowledgement. It does, and I I've had a lot of people ask me like what they think like. Like one of the things I hear a lot is people say, oh, I want to do this the right way. And what I love about that is like, that's an intention, but there is no right or wrong. <laughs> I feel like it's like a, a spiritual type of practice in a lot of ways. And, and in that way, I think it's not about like right or wrong. It's about making um, an effort and moving forward. And, and I think in these times of, you know, social and racial justice work, I think that we need to keep that that in mind that it's mm-hmm. not about doing the right thing or appearing things right or or saying things right or it's about having really good intentions and being humble and being open to feedback and not being like oh you know freaked out if somebody says that's not right, <laughs> right. or I'm offended by that or or well, that's not what... my experience as a native person or something like that yeah yeah and what you're really pointing out is uh the need for non-black indigenous and people of color to or, or just white I'll just say white people to be open to not doing it quote unquote, right. And, and whatever that means, whether that means, you know, with good intention, but it harmed someone and being able to take feedback and not, you know, not necessarily be defensive about it, but really listen, really be open. And, and that's, that's something that we're, we're really, really required to do right now. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's such a hard thing to do. I can, I know myself, I can go right to like defensiveness or using um, things as a shield, like, you know, um, I don't know how to explain it, but like without giving an example, and I don't want to go down another rabbit hole, but basically I'll just say like it for me personally, if I'm getting critical feedback, there's some mental gymnastics that goes on in my head to like make myself believe that I wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's not a place to learn from, <laughs> as we all know. And and I think this is a learning process. And so fighting those urges, like sitting with those experiences of being uncomfortable and being wrong or being or to acknowledge and being really present with the person who we have wronged with even if we didn't intend to you know we step on somebody's foot Mm -hmm. we still say sorry we don't say I didn't mean to (laughs) you know like there's just there's just so much there um, that we can kind of sit with and move forward and yeah I agree that's exactly our work right now in 2020. Yeah, and I I would say that um, I don't think there's probably not one white person listening who hasn't 
felt like I'm really afraid to, to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And that's real. And that's, that's our experience right now. And no matter how long we've been working on anything, right? Social justice or otherwise. And so I think our work is, uh, and I'm just speaking for me as a white woman, um, our work is to, to be okay with being wrong. Like, I, I don't think we have to just be right all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and what, you know, whatever that means, right or wrong. And, and as mm. you said, sometimes it's more fluid and it's more of a intuitive or spiritual, you know, experience. But at, at some point there is intention and then there's impact and yes. we have to be willing and, and, uh, ready to, to have all the good intentions and, and have an impact that may or may not sit well with somebody and, and to, and then to have that conversation. And then when we get the feedback, it's not that like, you know, I am a bad person. I just, I am a person existing in a terrible system, a, a racist system that I need to learn, you know, how to navigate and not hurt people. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. It's so important. And it makes me think about the the tribal project that I said I've been working with under for 10 years. It's the New Mexico Tribal Prevention Project, which is actually coming to an end this year. Um, but we started the whole project with doing our own personal and group decolonization work. Mm -hmm. And we use this book called Communities of Hope. And um, as just kind of like a a guide to kind of go through processes of, you know, reflection questions and things like that. And so much that I learned about how, and this was like 10 years ago, but so much of what I learned about decolonization had to do with my own insistence on this black and white thinking about right and wrong. Like mm -hmm. that is one way that we call in, like that is a colonization mindset to think that things have to be right as opposed to wrong and that we have to you know, that things have to be correct and one way and who's defining what is right and who, you know, all these things are so yeah. caught up in, in this um, colonization practice that we were, that, that happened historically and that we carry forward conti um, continually to this present day. And one of the ways like, you know, like correcting people who's, who like correcting people's grammar or any sort of things of being like, oh, it's right or wrong can, mm -hmm. is ways that we, that I personally know to catch myself carrying forward this idea about, you know, continuing colonization. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. There's so much we could talk about here. <laughs> we might have to have another conversation. Um, yeah. But this has been really great though. Yes. Thank you so much for coming and, and talking and being open. And I never know where these conversations are going to go exactly, but I think they're important to have and just a hold space for. So thank you. You're welcome. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. There's a list of anti-racism resources at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. And you can check out all the past episodes of the Well Woman Show featuring Black, Indigenous, and women of color 
at wellwomanlife.com slash women of color. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.